And here's what I want to ask you. What is holding you back? What is the thing that's holding you back from going after your dreams and from finding meaningful work you love? Aren't you ready to wake up to the possibilities that are in your life and go after the things you've dreamt of? It's time for you to feel alive again, lit up, and for you to know that you're deserving and you are worthy for the future that's waiting for you. I want you to feel fulfilled and find abundance in your life. I think it's time and I'm ready to help you get started. Now I'm your host, Kristen, of Building a Life You Love. And each week on the show, we're going to help you figure out how you do go after your dreams and find work you love. Here we go. Let's get started. Oh, on today's episode, you're in for a real treat. I am going to talk to a storyteller about filling ourselves up with great stories that inspire and encourage us. We're going to talk about going after our dreams. We're going to be talking about how do we assess the, our worldview to ensure that it is freeing us and lifting us up instead of holding us back and harming us. So buckle up. You are in for quite a ride with this conversation, and I can't wait to get started. Hi, today on the show, I would like to welcome Rebecca Rebecca Seitz. She's a writer, a producer, and the founding CEO of the One Sea Story Network. They share stories that leave you a better human. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, everything you're doing is, first of all, so impressive, and you've done so many wow. things already <laughs> in your lifetime, and you have so many amazing shows that you're doing. And I love that all of them, though, at the end of the day are trying to tell us and share stories and information with us that make us better humans and just make us inspired to, you know, go out and do things in the world. That's the goal. I, you know, I'm a story person. I always have been from as far back as I can remember. And what I have realized is that there are some stories that in allowing yourself to be entertained by them, you end up damaging yourself. And then there are other stories that in allowing yourself to be entertained by them, you're left better. You're inspired or encouraged or you you got an escape that didn't hurt you in the process or something like that. So I thought, you know, I want to be about those kinds of stories. Oh, I I do love that. And I've found the older I get that I've had to not to say I don't sometimes watch stuff that I go, why did I watch that? But I'm more I'm more particular now because exactly what you just said, I realized I don't want to watch that. It's like super dark, right? You know, like it's kind of, right? I, I don't feel good watching it, you know? And so sometimes even if my husband and my kids want to watch it, I say, not for me, have fun. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. I spent years, I'll just, I'll confess. Yeah. I spent years watching Law and Order SVU. And then yeah. one day I was like, why is it entertaining for me to watch a show about a little eight-year-old girl getting raped? I, what is, why am I watching this? I don't understand. And I went, I don't, I mean, I understand there's the, you, she gets justice in the end. And so it's not like, you know, it's just prurient, but still I was like, I think I'm probably not doing myself any good here. I probably should pick something else. (laughs) I haven't watched it since. It's kind of like a train wreck. Like you're drawn in because you're not, you're kind of curious, but then you realize to your point, I don't, I don't do this for every show, but I am a lot more open with myself to say, like, is this going to like, to your point, do I want to spend two hours? of my life on this really negative or thing that's going to stick in my head and not a great way? Or do I want something that's going to be uplifting and positive and and that sort of thing? So Exactly. And we're definitely living in a time when some media outlets have figured out the way to make money is to anger your audience, because that's a very powerful human motivating emotion. And so, you know, there's a, there's a built-in financial incentive there. If they anger then you'll keep coming back and consuming more, which means bigger audience, which means bigger revenue from the advertisers. And so I thought, I just don't want to be a part of that machine. I've been a part of it in my career. And I thought, I don't, I don't feel good at the end of the day for what I encouraged and, and brought humans into. I, I don't want to do that to people. So I just walked away from it. Well, I think we're so lucky that you're one of the people that has decided like this, those are the messages and the stories you're going to share because I get, I get irritated all the time. I say to my husband, oh, I'm so mad at this certain comic book brand, (laughs) you know, that they've gone super dark, uh, almost demonic to me. And Mm -hmm. it kind of ticks me off, to be honest. And I say, if they want to do that, can't they put it under a different brand so that as a parent, I know this is not PG anymore. This is like, it's horrific to me. And so I get mad every time I see it because I'm like, this is not like your superhero saving the day. There's like, really weird things going on in it. And so anyway, so I, I'm, I literally get on my soapbox all the time and my husband probably gets sick of it, but I'm like, no, why <laughs> is it like this? Yep. So thank you for putting out good content, you know, uplifting content. 
Um, it is truly my pleasure. It really, really is. I can't believe I get paid to do what I do. <laughs> oh, I love it. So Rebecca, can you um, rewind just a little bit and tell us kind of a little bit about your journey and your story and kind of like, how did you get where you're at now? Sure. Um, so I wrote my first short story when I was eight, I memorized my first one when I was four. So when I said I'm a story person, I really was not kidding. <laughs> That's just where I've always gone. So um, I, I think everybody around me would tell me you're going to be a writer because that's kind of the go-to thing that everybody goes to of how are you going to do something with a, a story, a, a love of story. They say writer, people don't know. I, I didn't know there were other roles to do. And so um, I took my first job in the business. I was the launch publicist for the fiction line of the largest Christian publisher in the world, which is Thomas Nelson Publishers. They're part of HarperCollins. And I launched their uh, their line of adult fiction. They were publishing adult fiction, but there wasn't like a, and I don't mean adult fiction porn. I mean like <laughs> fiction for adults. I know what you mean, but it's kind of like that. <laughs> Sorry. As opposed to children's fiction is what I'm saying. Um, but they, so they'd been publishing it, but they didn't have a dedicated line just for that, a dedicated imprint. And so I launched the imprint and got to work with some amazing writers doing that. And it's, um, it's one of those things that I look back on in life and think that was the time really when professionals that I admired were saying things over me. Like I would talk about like the woman that hired me, Pamela Clements, when the day she called to tell me that she was giving me the job, she said, I'm not hiring you because you have any idea what you're doing because you don't. I mean, I had a degree in it, but I had not actually worked. I didn't know literary publicity existed. <laughs> and she said, you don't know what you're doing, but you love stories. And I, I can't teach a love of story. I can teach the mechanics of literary PR. So that's why she hired me. And then the publisher of our imprint, Alan Arnold, one day sitting in his office, I was spouting off ideas for an author tour that I wanted to set up and the things I wanted to do. And just in the middle of me going on and on and on, he said, wow, you are really a story person. And there was like this sense of appreciation and almost like wonder in, in him saying it. And that was that one was the first time that somebody that I admired and really, really looked up to was recognizing something in me as valuable relative to my love of story. And so it was like, oh, maybe everybody doesn't have this. OK, right. all right. What does that mean? So. I started out there and then long story short. So I was, I launched there. I started my own PR firm at the behest of my boss. And we ended up launching the fiction lines for a couple of other publishing houses and handling key titles at other houses, all, almost always fiction. And then I got into movies and television. I headed up a film studio here in Naples where I am in Naples, Florida for several years. And then in 2019, a friend of mine, Mike Flaherty, who was the guy who founded Walden Media, Walden is uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Bridge to Terabithia, those kind of big family movies. Mike had left Walden. And so I called him and said, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. What are you going to do next? And he said, you know, I'm getting into podcasting. And I went, um, why? Why are you doing that? I just, like his movies at that point, I think it made $4 billion at the box office. So I was just like, I feel like maybe that's a weird shift. And he said, no, no, it's the it's like the early days of TV, Rebecca. And he and I share this love of getting in at the beginning of something and helping to build it. And he said, you should look into it. So that's when I launched the 1C Story Network. And I thought I need to stay in my lane, which is stories. So I'm not about, you know, a bunch of political talk shows or health talk shows or, you know, all. and I don't do true crime, you know, because that's not what I'm about. So I thought I, I want to do story, scripted story podcasts, like old radio dramas. And so that's what we make at the 1C Story Network. Oh, my gosh, that's so good. And it's just speaking of podcasts, I actually bought my microphone five years ago, but it took me wow. to the last, just some things changed in my uh, working for myself. And then I took a you know, gig for a couple of years with an old colleague. And anyway, so, you know, I just didn't find the time. And so my focus shifted mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then January, I was back full time for myself. So, yeah, it's just interesting. You know, I felt like there's probably some growth or some things that I needed I feel like God was at work in that, you know, like I, oh, it was I, I feel cool. like I had to take the opportunity. Yes. Like, the I didn't know why. I just knew I had to. So maybe I wasn't meant to do it till now, but I knew five years ago I was going to podcast. It just didn't. Oh, I will absolutely affirm you in that. Because when I started this company, well, for two reasons. Number one, when I started the 1C Story Network, until that point in my career. So at that point, I had been in the business for 
15 years in the entertainment business in one way or another. And I was a pusher. Like I made things happen. I was always the one that was like, let's all get in the room. Let's get this done. Let's bring it into existence. And, you know, when I started 1C, I was older and I was like, I'm, I think I'm done being a pusher. I'm going to just let this thing happen as it's going to happen. I will absolutely do the work. I'm a hard worker and I will do what it occurs to me needs done, of course, but I'm not going to try to figure out every step of the plan and how we're going to get from A to B. And then I'm going to push all of that to happen. And so I kind of took my hands off and it's just, it's amazing to let something happen instead of pushing it into existence. First of all, it's way more fun because amazing things happen that I would never have envisioned. So there's that. But then from the timing aspect, I, I incorporated this business on Friday, the 13th, December 13th, 2019. And the pandemic hit that March, we all went home. If I was still trying to get on a movie set at that time, there were no movie sets. There are hardly any right now. So I really would have been in trouble. And so I just look at it and go, wow, thank you. Whatever was taking care of me to say, you should get into podcasting. Cause then I was also able to give work to some of the actors that needed work because we all the sets shut down. So I will totally affirm you in things happen in the time they're supposed to. And I like how you were saying that you were no longer needing in your life to push the Mm. podcast. And I like that I was talking to um, one of my guests recently, maybe it was two weeks ago, Alex Bruckman, and he he's actually a business strategist, but he was talking about story at this moment. And he said, you know, um, one thing is, is you, I used to try to push the story, mm-hmm. but you have to, it has to be the pull, right? From the person to the business. And that happens yeah. when you tell a good story and you let the person know whether it's a story like you're doing or in his business, it's something else. At the end of the day, it's because you're letting that consumer know how do they relate to that story and how will that product or service or podcast benefit them, right? And he's like, but that you can't push that on people. They ha- it has to be they're drawn to it. And Absolutely. so I thought that was really interesting. And it's kind of what you're saying with your podcast is like you knew you're going to start them, but it's like instead of pushing too hard, you're like, I know if I put the stories out there that are meaningful, people will be drawn to the stories that are meant to have that content. Yes. And it's a scary thing because, or it's a scary thing for me, I don't know about for others, because you can put it out there and if it doesn't work, then that can be embarrassing. You know, (laughs) we just, we have a new uh, third phase that we're going into in the company now where, you know, the whole point of 1C is about an entire story ecosystem. And the third phase of that is we're literally looking to open a physical space here on the island where I live, just, just south of Naples, for creatives together. And the high school kids on the island for everybody together. It's kind of like a Starbucks Starbucks on steroids. We call it the Cove. Yeah. And in that, you know, there, we have architectural renderings. And I put it on my Facebook just for my, because I'm actually friends with my Facebook friends. So I, I put it on there. And I said, this is not an official announcement from the company or anything. I just, I'm very, very excited about what we're working on because the architectural renderings are back and they're so cool. And this, this yeah. architect totally got it. And, you know, I could have put that out there and, and my friends are, they can be brutal. They're very honest. They could have been like, what are you even thinking lady? Like what? Right. <laughs> I mean, thankfully they weren't, they were all like, I cannot wait to visit, but still you put something out there and it could still go South. What if we lose our funding? What if we find it and a hurricane hits and knocks down the bed? I mean, so many things could go wrong, but I just decided I'd rather just, just live and, and just let those things happen. If they happen, they're coming for a reason. We'll deal with them then. Let's just live today. Yeah. Well, and actually, I think that's what I think is interesting about what you just said. First of all, that the cove sounds amazing. So when it's up and running, I will come visit. <laughs> yes, please. Um, yeah. You know, I told you already, I'm a beach girl, you know, so I'll, I'll be there. Come ahead. So, but what I like about that, you sharing that, right, is this. Too often when people are starting something new or in our everyday lives, we do get stuck in like, oh, it's in my head. I have this idea for two years or I have a book I want to write. I know there's this book in me. We putts around mm-hmm. with it or we have it in our brain, but we keep trying to make it perfect before we put it out into the world. Mm-hmm. But until you put it out into the world and you share it, you'll never know if there's validity to it or the way in which you're trying to deliver it. And so do you have anything to say to that? Because I think it's, well, I think here's that's the, part of the creative process, right? Is It is. The truth of that is that the idea in your head, a thousand percent is not going to be what it ends up. It's right. flat out not. 
And I say that to you as somebody who has started multiple businesses myself, as the author of 10 books, I'm a best-selling writer, as somebody who's worked on movies, and as somebody who writes CEO profiles for Founder Magazine and has for two years, you know, thing from giant businesses, I mean, from, you know, 23andMe, the huge companies that there's an idea that you have, and it's a good, you know, that's a good phase to be in. You've got this original idea that you're excited about. That's good. But it no, no company or creative endeavor in the world was created with one human. It just doesn't work that way. We're humans. We don't operate solo 100%. And so if you're like, I really want to get this thing done, the best thing you can do is start putting it out there and then see how it evolves and changes. The One C Story Network is, ex- is not exactly what I set out to do. It's just, it doesn't have the exact stories that I thought would be done first. It has different ones. And then some of those stories are getting the interest from the Netflixes of the world to flip into, into screen projects and others are not, which is surprising to me because I thought some were more suited than others. Yeah. You just never, you just never know. And I mean, this is, uh, can be a difficult thing to hear, but part of being a creator Literally a part of it is failure. That's a, just as legit a part of it as something coming to fruition. So you're not ever going to get to that experience either if you don't start doing. So I, t- I tell a lot of entrepreneurs, do what you can with what you have right now. It doesn't matter how piddly it is. It doesn't matter how unfinished it is. It doesn't matter how embarrassing it. Do what you can with what you have right now. And that will get you to the next step. And Absolutely. At least that's the process that I observe and that I've lived. <laughs> I think you're so right. I think it's partly it's uh, you have to show up in some way, which means yes. with other people, whether it's yes. private or public or you know using social. And then as you show up, you will have to iterate. It it's guaranteed, yeah. right? Whether that means you have to tweak a sentence or whether that means you have to get it in your case, maybe a, somebody new to say do part of the script. Whether like you said, you have to find a co-founder, whatever it is, you're going to have to. You know, you never know. And it's, I mean, I'm in the middle of, I said, well, I'm not in the middle of, I started in March of last year of this year, I think is when we began officially, I was under the mentorship of a venture capital firm in LA. And I did it not because my company was ready for venture capital. It didn't need millions of dollars at that point. And I did it because venture capitalists had gotten wind of one of our companies that's patented and they were calling me and I didn't know how to have those conversations. Right. So I eventually got into a mentorship with, with a venture capitalist. And what the, the, the process that my company went through in a very short four months of, okay, we started with this idea and we're going to hold true to the motivation and the core of what we are, which is story people and getting stories out there that leave humans better. But the process we're going to follow is necessarily going to have to shift to also meet the interests of other people who are getting involved in the process. And that's a good thing. It makes it even better. I could never have envisioned all of the different ways that we would shift in, just in going through that process and in listening to others and allowing them to feed into the process. And it's, it's cooler. It's way more fun. To right. do it that way. <laughs> I love that. So let me ask you on that note, right. And just kind of like you said, that, that thing you didn't, you didn't expect that uh, VCs were going to be coming and knocking on your door, but they were right. No. Because yeah. You're growing this business or businesses, you know, these, these uh, shows, but what do you think it takes one, to do all these different things you've done, you've played in different spaces, even though stories, the thread that goes mm-hmm. through, but what does it take to be, you know, this kind of entrepreneur where you're, you know, that it's okay to try new things, to add new things and to take risks. I think one of the key components is to know yourself. That can be a really scary thing if you haven't taken the time to do it, because if you introduce yourself to yourself and you don't like what you see, well, now you've got to go through the process of changing and that that can feel like a giant waste of time. If you're a business person and you're trying to check the next thing off on the to do list, you know, today we finish pitch deck. Tomorrow we have investor meetings. And if you're try, if you're focused on those outcomes, recognizing coming full frontal into the place of, oh, my gosh, I am operating from a place of fear or, oh, my gosh, I am a person who has a really hard time operating as a team player or whatever that uncomfortable truth is that you discover about yourself. And now you have to start figuring out, well, how do I, how do I address that in myself? It can feel like a waste of time. So, but I promise you in the end, it's not having been somebody who 
You know, I walked away from 38 years as a Southern Baptist evangelical because it wasn't serving. It was toxic. And that took years. I'm still in the process, you know, <laughs> five years removed from it and still having to learn new ways of being like being in the now. You're not taught to be in the now in that religion. You're taught to think about heaven and what's coming next. And that's what matters. So you have to run into these truths about yourself. But if you'll do that, it gets easier on the other side everything starts flowing much more easily. You are more authentically yourself. And so when it occurs, this at least is is my truth and how it works for me. When it occurs to me of, you know what, I should go find somebody at Hulu and see if there's somebody there I can talk about flipping some of our projects into this onto their screens. It doesn't occur to me to not, it just makes sense as an evolution and maybe something will come of it and maybe it won't, but let me go find somebody and start that conversation. The questioning factor of, am I being right? goes away because it's inherently known. So it takes away a lot of the anxiety if you'll just do the work to understand and know yourself. So that's that's a big thing that I tell people. And when you learn about yourself, be honest with yourself about yourself <laughs> and to others. You know, there's a lot of, um, I see a lot of entrepreneurs do the whole fake it till you make it. it if you If you really knew what you're costing yourself in faking it till you make it, if people don't know authentically where you are in the process, they can't help. So if I'm trying to pretend like I have millions of dollars in the bank and I have five, then why would anybody need to feed into my business? That doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's, it's that, you know, being secure in yourself to know, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller, whether I have $5 in the bank or 5 million doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> so just embracing that and going, is this something that I, as a storyteller, need to be engaged with? It's, it's easier because I, I came into an awareness of this is just who and what I am. Not because anybody out there says that's what I am, because that's really what I am. So, oh, so two, two things there. Well, first off, to tell you, yeah, exactly. You're a storyteller. The, at the end of the day, we don't have to be some title someone tells us we are. Like on my business card and on my emails, one of my many, uh, we all have many titles, is encourager. And people are so surprised by that because it's not like, uh. <laughs> I, I don't put like CEO, although I, you know, sure of my own business, but, but it, to me, it's the, it's the crux of it. Like that's what I do, no matter what service or content I'm putting out there. Right. Like mm-hmm. to me, I feel like that's the gift I was given, you know, before anyone else, any other gift. And so I love that you're like, no, I'm a storyteller. Like no matter if that's I have any do. money or a lot of money, <laughs> that's my thing, right? Like I had that gift when I was little. Like you said, you loved story. You were obsessed with story and you you loved finding those stories and then telling them. So I love that. And then the next thing is, I love that you're like, I'll just knock on Hulu's door. I mean, obviously you've worked <laughs> in that area before, but what I love about it is you're like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? They say, well, why are you calling me? And I'm like, I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. Thanks for taking the call. <laughs> yeah, but you're so right. The point is, is too many other people let the fear stand in their way instead of saying, it's the what if question, right? Instead of there, you've turned it, you've turned the script. A lot of people go, what if I'll get embarrassed? What if my friends will laugh at me? What if they say no? And you're like, what if they said yes, which is what we should be doing. So I love that example because it just illustrates that, to be honest, the people that you see with success, and it doesn't have to be monetary success, but it could be, they're the ones saying, but what if it could be possible? What if it, you know, this this could be made? What if this move, this could be turned into a movie? So I love that because I think that's a big mental or mindset shift that makes a difference between the people that are making things happen and they continue to make new things happen versus the people that are still trying to figure it out. I think a big Part of my comfort level with it, with, with being in those situations and putting myself in those situations is I, I don't have a fear of failure anymore because I have failed right? massively. I mean, every, and I just want to say that is part of the process, y'all. That is as much a part of the process as the win. So, you know, if it happens to you, when it happens to you, because it will embrace it. That means that you are a business owner. You are an entrepreneur. You are a starter. There will be failure. If there, that, that, if there hasn't been honey, it's coming. That's part of it. Right. But for me, mine was on a very public stage. I was heading up a a nonprofit film and television studio here in Naples. Naples is a very elite community. A lot of fortune 500 CEOs retire here. And a lot of them were very involved in the nonprofit. And so it was, you know, my face is in the glossy magazines in town and I'm on the radio in town and the television in town and having big glitzy events to raise money and raising millions of dollars. And 
all of a sudden it felt like overnight. It was a few months coming, but very quickly it, the whole thing just tanked and there was nothing I could do to stop it with what happened was within, within a year's time, seven of our donors reneged on their pledges to the tune of over a million dollars and nothing was going wrong. And one of them there, his wife was going to leave him. And so he couldn't do the money and another one lost his job as a CEO. And so he didn't have the money. It was like things going on in their personal lives, but still we didn't have the reserves to weather it. And so very publicly the thing went South and I had been all over town talking about this $50 million movie studio that we were building. I mean, all over town with all the movers and shakers. And so it was one of those things where um, up until that point in my life, I truly thought that if you were just willing to work hard, you'd succeed. That the people who failed, it was a matter of, well, they, they just didn't work hard enough. And no, I can guarantee you, I put everything into that nonprofit, including all of my life savings and my children's college funds. I mean, I was all in and it still went south. And for that to have to live through that, then you really start learning, you know what? And I've never filed bankruptcy, but Walt Disney did. And so did Ford and the huge giants, the titans that we look at of, you know, I look at Walt Disney as a master storyteller and but for his brother, Roy, that boy would still be bankrupt. I mean, it took his brother coming in to manage the business side of things. So once you've lived it, it's like, yeah, I can call up Hulu and, and they can laugh at me and be like, who are you? You crazy person on an island off the coast of Florida. Why are you calling me? And I'll be like, okay, this is not a good fit. Thanks for taking the call. Have a good day. And it's fine. We'll move on to Netflix, you know, whatever. It's fine. So yeah, I think living through a massive public failure kind of strips you of that pride that shouldn't be there in the first place. There's some humility that you really, you really need to embrace. And then that humility leads you to a place of, I'm here to learn. I'm constantly here to learn. So I don't call Hulu saying, I know everything about how this is going to be turned into your next streaming massive thing and make you millions of dollars. And I know everything about your business and how I'm going to feed into your business. It's more, uh, I have this podcast and it's got some listeners and I was thinking it might work for you guys. Can you tell me a little bit about how that might work? And then listening. It's, It's that humble perspective of, I don't know everything about everything and I need to learn and listen. Right. Well, and is there a need here, like, or an interest because of it, some synergy. And then, well, the other thing too, that you just said about just calling them up and then realizing like, sometimes it's going to be no, or not right now. (laughs) It's okay. One, it might be the wrong place or the wrong person or the wrong opportunity, but sometimes it's the timing is wrong or so they think how many times, you know, this probably happened to you too. How many times has the, has the, um, whatever studio, the production house, Mm -hmm. whatever they are, said no. And then the person went and did it on their own. And then they're knocking at their door saying like, oh, we have six book dealer. Oh, we have a movie. Mm-hmm. We want now we want to work with you for Netflix. It happens all the time. So I think the reminder is don't let rejection or of course failure stop you because those are really just, they're stopping you. They're like yield signs where we need to learn from it and we need to like take notice. And then you keep moving, right? You keep on going because it's just like on the driving down the interstate. You know, if you, if you miss your turn, you don't just say, I'm going to give up and go home, right? (laughs) Like reassess everything. And then you figure out the path forward to get to your final destination. You know? Yeah. One of the guys that I I reached out to at a streaming giant, I had seen um, an interview that he had given in one of the the trades and it led me to believe that it might be a good fit for some of our content. So I reached out to him out of the blue. I literally, I think I found him on LinkedIn. I was like Googling for an email address or something. And I reached out and I was like, hi, you don't know me, but, and uh, he, it took him a minute, but he got back to me and he said, okay, I have a couple of things going on that I can't disclose, but I'd love to talk to you. It's just going to be a few weeks. And honestly, I was like, well, this is either a really good brush off because I don't feel bad about it or, or there really is something on it. Turns out he was moving to another streaming giant and he wanted to wait because, you know, if we had talked at his old one, then he might not have been able to take it to his new one. So you never know. That's the other thing is you never know what's going on with somebody else. And 99% of the time, in the words of David on Schitt's Creek, it's not about you. They don't care about you. It's about what's going on with them. Right. That's right. So true. Oh, my goodness. So let me ask you this. Uh, you, you kind of touched on sort of your faith journey earlier. Mm-hmm. What can you just share with us a little bit? Like, obviously, that's a process that's in process still for you. But mm-hmm. is there any like tips that you would share about that about like, when you, it, and it doesn't have to be about someone's faith, but when you find yourself starting to kind of have those early, I don't know if you call them signals. Yeah. yeah like, so Twinges. can you just 
walk us through that. Like, how did you realize that it was time for you to reflect and assess and then make, start making a change just because I think it's important. And some of us get stuck in stuff because we feel like it's wrong to make a change because of what we've been told culturally, it could be our faith, it could be our mm-hmm. family. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really important skill set that it's important for us all to learn how to do better. Yeah. So um, the process of getting out of Southern Baptist evangelical Christianity, to be very specific about it, um, I've written about over on the Free Evangelic blog. You can go to freevangelic.com and see the five-step process that I realized that I've been through, but that because I am very public about my journey and have now been gifted with a lot of other people's stories of their journey out, I started to see this pattern that we all follow, not in the same time period. Some people will stay on a step for three years and other people for three months, but it does tend to be the same pattern. So for, um, for me and for the ones that I know, there's this growing uneasiness inside whenever you are engaging in that worldview. So you're, you get very good at just ignoring the, the inner uneasiness because it's going to be a big cost to you to acknowledge it and what it means. So you push it away and push it away and push it away. But there comes a point where there's a breaking point. For me, in the Southern Baptist religion, uh, the Bible is supreme. Every That Bible is 100% perfect, God-breathed, God-inspired, and perfectly applicable to modern living in every word. And you have to accept that as part of the doctrine. So for me, I used to read the Bible all the way through every year. And there was a moment when I was doing that at my breakfast table, as I did every morning. And um, there, there's a discrepancy in the Bible between who told David to take the census. In one passage, it says the devil did. In the other passage, it says the Lord did. And it really matters because taking the census so angers God that he slaughters every fighting Hebrew male who took part in the census. And every year I would push it away, push the twinge away. I would read all of the apologetics and it's okay. It's fine that this says two polar opposite things. And that year I couldn't, it was my breaking point. I could not do it anymore. So I literally closed the Bible and pushed it away from me on the table. And I said, I'm, I'm going to give myself a year. I didn't say it immediately right then. What I did was I pushed the Bible away, stood up from the table and said, I don't think this book is perfect, which of course meant then I cannot be a Southern Baptist Christian. And I didn't know what that meant because I was raised in it. I converted to it when I was six. It, it's my, it was my whole life. I worked for Christian publishers and Christian movie houses and my whole world. And, um, I started walking to the stairs and I fully thought that I would be struck by lightning dead before I got there. Cause I thought, man, have I done it now? But on the way up the stairs, I was casting about for a way to live through the experience. And I kind of did this bargaining thing in my head where I said, I'm going to give myself one year to question this. And surely if God is as loving as everybody says, he can give me one year out of eons. And if everything I've been taught is true, it's still going to be true in a year. Nothing I question or do is going to make something that is actually true false. That literally, that's not truth. So I felt a little bit safer in giving myself a year. So there's that. That then happens after the breaking point of now you're embarking on a journey to find truth, actual empirical truth that exists outside of you. Because once you discover it, now you got to figure out, okay, how do I incorporate that into my life? which is kind of your step four, because in step four, you have by in step three, you're finding pieces of truth that are true outside of you. Things like love actually is a good thing in all its forms or kindness. And you start becoming aware that those good characteristics are present across a lot of different um, ways of religion, ways of faith, ways of being worldviews. You start recognizing them. That's in step three. In step four, for me, it was then allowing myself to see that there was still some of that truth and wisdom in the tradition I was leaving. I didn't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I didn't have to wholly reject everything I had been taught in my life because some of those things do ring true. Um, my favorite that I say to a lot of people is there, there's a verse in, um, in Proverbs that says where King Solomon wrote, uh, chase wisdom. If it costs you everything, get wisdom. And I think that that's a brilliant way to live your life. So I still subscribe to that. Yeah. Um, even though if I don't, even though I don't subscribe to Solomon had a thousand wives and a thousand concubines. So I'm not down for that. Um, but then in step five, you've, and that's, this is the final step, which is the one that I'm in. And I think I'll probably be in for the rest of my life. And that is, 
okay, now how do I, now that I've synthesized these things, what does that mean practically every single day? How does that affect myself as a wife, as a mom, as a friend, as a daughter, as a CEO, as a writer, as a producer, in all of the different beings that I am an iteration of, how do I live this out, what I now know? It's kind of like that whole Francis Schaeffer, how now shall we then live, or how now shall we live? It's that idea of, okay, I've learned all this. I've gone on this journey and I've recognized that the journey is never going to be over. How do I live well on the journey? Live in a way that nurtures a big abundant life, whatever that means to you on this journey. So that's the journey that, that I went on. And I try to, I talk about it because the, the religion that I came out of cost me a lot in terms of being my full self, because there's a lot of fear involved as a female in that and a lot of limitation. And so I, I try to put the story out there just because I, I don't want other people to waste their life in that kind of a box that, that is a box of your own making. You can step out of it anytime you want to. It's okay. Oh gosh. I, it's so powerful. And before we started recording, you had sort of, you were talking about, you know, the general sense of that and you were just explaining how, um, that you kind of ask people, and this is what you sort of came to for yourself, that your worldview, it's either limit, is it limiting you or is it freeing you? And what you found when you started down this journey, right, was that the worldview you had prior, right, when you were still in that um, specific denomination of faith, was that it was very limiting to you, you know, in an extreme way. And so after you've kind of been on this journey, you've realized that changing your view allowed you to be much freer and live where you felt more aligned with what you believe to be true. Yes. And find people who there are different in the Southern Baptist world. You, you don't, all the other denominations are wrong. <laughs> That's what you're talking right. Yes. So I allowing yourself to learn. I mean, there are some practices and ways with Episcopalians, with Quakers, with Anglicans, with Lutherans that are so much more freeing than in the Southern Baptist world, you know, in the Southern Baptist world, just in, for an example um, it's not called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper, but it, uh, it's the body and blood, whatever you call it. That's never served by female hands. And literally our bodies are the vehicles for life. So it's a massive disconnect spiritually and mentally when their doctrine is against those vehicles being in female hands coming to the body. But that's your experience as a woman is I am the conduit through which new life is made. And so you subconsciously take that in or like you never see a woman in the pulpit. So subconsciously you think actual authority, true authority, true truth can never come from a female, whether that's ever said from the pulpit. And some of them it is, but some it's not. You still take it in. You know, the deacons get called down and they're all male. Right. You take that in. There's something to be said for representation. Mm -hmm. And so it's when you I encourage people to whatever worldview you're in, whether it's Southern Baptist or whatever, think about your worldview. What, what are the messages that you're taking in? Become aware of them, become conscious of them, and then analyze them. Is this a part of my worldview that is, is birthing good life? Am I able to live good, abundant, free life from this? And if you're not, then I'd, I'd say maybe that's not something you need to have in your life. That's definitely something to question and analyze. Am I okay with the limitation that this belief brings with it. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so important. And I was sharing with you before we recorded that one of my earlier episodes this summer was with a, a female pastor, Stephanie Lake, but she's talking about how, you know, uh, faith can, faith should be lifting you up and it should be about, mm-hmm. you know, these positive things like love and um, community, right. And helping people. It should not be, you should not be feeling harmed or like you're, being tormented. And if you are, yes. then that can sometimes be what we call toxic or dangerous religion. And so that was a great episode about this topic. But I think it's an important one because I love that you walk through those steps for people because whether it's about their faith or some other part of their life, right? They could be stuck in a relationship that's mm-hmm. maybe not healthy, that it could be lots of things. But I think it's such, it's, you so clearly stated it. So I liked, you know, that people, in the end of the day, we just have to reflect and be aware of what's going on with us you know, and then start mm-hmm. figuring out, is there something good? Is it good or is something that's not good? Like if we're getting physical ailments, like, you know, but it's really because mm-hmm. of stress or something going on in our life. Sometimes it's because we have to align that before that some of the stuff, and I don't mean obviously like heart disease or something, right? I'm talking about when you have physical, like 
right body things going on. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's so important. Well, in doing it, I mean, anybody who's like, okay, I'm going to do that. Then I just, it, I, I massively applaud you because it, it is a difficult thing. Just like getting real with who you are with yourself. It's a hard thing. Um, but it also, I promise at the end, it is a massively freeing thing. And when you are living in that freedom of kind of reveling in who and what you are and allowing that to be unleashed, it's, it's, I'm not saying bad things don't happen in life. They do. I mean, we, uh, there, there are challenges that, that we have to deal with in my family and there are challenges I have to deal with myself. And of course, but it's the, all of the fear and the second guessing and all of that just goes away. And you're able to really take a big, full, deep breath all the time, anytime and enjoy what is happening. It's, it's a very different process than what I lived in my first three and a half decades on the planet. Very, very different. Now it's like, you know, when we go to tell a story, one of our stories, the very first one we ever put out making the cut is a, it's the retelling of the biography of a surgeon, international story. He was born in Egypt, educated in Germany, Germany and England, and then came to America. And there are some really tough parts of his life. He was abandoned as a, as a child. So he never had adult authority in his life to teach him how to be an adult or how to be a man. Didn't have that from anybody. So he was kind of unleashed on the world to figure it out. And he hurt a lot of people in the process of figuring himself out, which is a reality that he owns. He actually lives here on the Island and and he owns that too. You know, he hurt a lot of people in trying to figure out how to be. And he wanted to put his story out there because And we wanted to put a story out there because we thought if you hear this story, maybe you'll learn from his and you won't have to hurt somebody in the same way that he did because you can see what he learned from it and move on. But that means I had to tell you part of a story that is hard to hear for a second. And so we we have this disclaimer before a lot of the episodes of that show of some of this is hard to hear, but there's a reason that we're putting in front of you. There's a reason we're telling the story. Stay true to the end. There's a reason for it. Those are the kinds of things that I think are a good use of our time. It's not that, you know, there are some of these people that say, oh, life is all about finding the happy and being happy and happy, 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 happy. And I'm like, yeah, happy's good. I like happy, but life's not always happy. That doesn't mean that life is wrong. There's a freedom even when the happy's not there for a second. I wasn't happy when my sister died of breast cancer last year. There's nothing happy about that. But there was a freedom she and I had together because we were living in truth that brought joy in the midst of that pain. So it's just, I just, it's a lot to think about when you wrap your mind around when you're trying to go through it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Such good stuff. So let me ask you this last question, then we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. So you've done all these things as we've talked about lots of them. <laughs> a lot of things. We've talked about how people, <laughs> all the things. Of, I know. <laughs> always is that way. And, and you've talked to us about kind of this process for kind of reevaluating some things that could be going on in our life. But would you, do you have any last tips or words of inspiration you'd share with people that are still deciding if they're going to step into something new, start a secondary thing or whatever it might be, but to go after bigger and bolder dreams? I'd go back to approach this from a student perspective. You are here to learn. I don't care if you are 70 and have done everything and have 15 Oscars on your wall. There's still something to learn, you know, just a humility. Also, and this is, this one comes up a lot lately in my life. I'm not sure why people who are like, let me tell you my idea for a story. And let me tell you how I'm the only person on the planet who has lived this. (laughs) I just want to go, there are 8 billion people on the planet right now. You're not the only one. You might be the most suited one to tell the story. You might be the most prepared. You might be the one that this is your time to say it, but there's such a lack of humility and I'm the only one. No, you're not. Stop that. Because you can't serve anybody from that place. You can't, you can't reach them if you're like, I am the savior. You're, you're not. You're legit not. Stop it. So, you know, insert some humility into what you're doing. Yes, be confident in who and know in who and what you are. Absolutely. But when you become aware of who and what you are and live in that confidence, there really isn't a need for things like I'm the only one. because. I am the only Rebecca Seitz that is me. I mean, there are other Rebecca Seitzes on the planet, but I'm the only one that's like this. I get that. But there's not like, there's not a 
I don't have worth over you because I'm me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you have just as much value as I do because you're just as unique as I am. We are the same in our uniqueness. So, so insert some humility. And then um, the, the last one I can tell you is keep showing up. Doesn't mean you have to keep doing the same thing. I used to mistake that because I am somebody who I've written screenplays. I've written podcasts. I've written magazine articles. I've written novels. I've written biographies. Um, I've been a publicist. I've been an agent. I've been a producer. I've been a writer. Those are all different iterations of I'm a storyteller. So find what the through line is and be consistent in that. It's okay if your iterations of how you're being consistent change. That does not mean you're flighty or don't know what you're doing or any of that. Find what the through line is and consistently show up for it. And over time, you'll build something amazing or something actually will be built that is amazing. You don't have to push it into existence. Oh my gosh, such good wisdom. And I have to share two things that came to me during that and then wrap it up. So the first is I was a mentor at a startup weekend, you know, years ago. And I remember this gentleman somehow was like, didn't want to share his idea, not to the group. It was just like with the mentors. And he's like, yeah, one time I had this idea and maybe it was something to go with your mailbox. He's like, and would you believe it? I know I told like what I told one guy and he's like, and look, they have it at the Taylor's do it center like a month later. And I'm like, (laughs) they didn't steal your idea. Like you couldn't have even had it manufactured and back in the stores a month later. I was like, a lot of people get that same download, that same inspiration for that idea. Kind of to your point, Mm -hmm. it's who did something with it when they first Mm -hmm. got it or who had it sooner. But so one is your idea. It's like we said, it's action, not your idea. That's so original, right? It's Mm -hmm. what you do with the ideas. And then yes, I, that was so well put. It's action, not the idea that's original. Yes. Yeah. And then um, I don't know if you've read the book by James Altucher. Skip the line. No. Okay. I'm adding good book. Um, when I first started reading it, I was a little like, this is interesting. And then when I got into it, I and he has his own podcast too. But what's cool about it, he has so many amazing nuggets. But the one I want to share is he literally every day has a practice that he encourages everyone to do, which is like write down. I don't know if it's 10 or 15, you know, like ideas a day in the morning. But then he shares them with big companies. He shares them with people because he said, it's just an idea. I can come up with more ideas. And the more you're having ideas, like you work on your ideas, the more you have. He goes, my ideas, though, if I give it to Google or Netflix or I give it to my friend, maybe they'll do something with it. But I can't do something with all my ideas. I keep Mm -hmm. some for myself, but he shares them openly in the world. And over time, he actually gets more opportunities because he's so open to sharing the ideas that Mm -hmm. somebody else can use. So it's really interesting, his perspective on that, because too many people think like, let me hide my, my ideas. They're so secretive and someone's going to go and do it. And it's like, so we'll take it from me. Yeah. <laughs> you're the right person to go and put that idea into the world right now, or you're not depending on your action. Right. And then who you go and approach and make things happen. So I just thought that it kind of stuck out to me when you were talking about that. Uh, yeah. So much good stuff today. So tell us, Rebecca, how can people find you online if they want to learn more and find out more about your podcast and all your amazing work? Well, the umbrella under which everything happens is the 1C Story Network. So you can go to Just 1C. So you spell it all out, J-U-S-T-O-N-E-C, the letter C, dot com. And a lot of people are like, 1C, what is that? I have 1C in my Rebecca. It's all we could afford when I was born. So I thought, even if this company fails, at least everybody who comes into contact with it will finally spell my name right. So it's the 1C Story Network, and you can go to just1c.com. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I have to tell you, I feel like I feel more inspired and more excited to go out and keep doing even more things. So thank oh, you good. for <laughs> today. And honestly, I think you're doing amazing work in the world. And I think we're fortunate to have you doing so many beautiful things. Oh, thank you for that. And thank you for letting me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I look forward to connecting with you again soon. You too. Oh my gosh. This was one of my favorite conversations so far on the podcast. And I love that Rebecca is a beacon of hope and light for the rest of us that she cases stories and she shares stories to help us be better humans. I mean, I don't know how we get better than that. It's just so good. And what I want you to take from that is she, you know, she grasps onto these stories, these ideas, and she goes after them with action and with, you know, just boldness that I think the rest of us can learn from. And if you're holding on to these ideas and these dreams, but you either are afraid to share them 
or you're afraid to pursue them, then I would just share these words with you by Emily P. Freeman, who I've shared some of her words before because I just love her as an author about your crazy ideas. And here's what she says in her book, A Million Little Ways. She says, what would it take for you to pull your dream out again, to stop taunting it with cruel names and to simply listen to what it has to say? No filters, no backtalk, no eye rolls. Dare to handle it, to hold it in your hands and consider it with kindness and compassion. You may not be sure what will come of the dream, but might you be willing to develop a small but respectable amount of reverence for the way God speaks to you through your desires? What is your moon, your airplane, your boy wizard book? What is your brave lyric, your odd first chapter, your new business motto? What is your crazy idea? No, not your perfect idea, not your logical, well-planned, power-pointed, practical idea. There's a place for those too. But many times the most logical ideas start out crazy. What is your crazy idea and what should you do with it? Maybe you should chase it. And I would say to you, dust off the idea, pull it out, share it with a trusted friend, and go and get chasing that idea. Here's to big dreams and bold action. I think we do need to know what we want in order to define life on our terms. And we have to be willing to break the past scripts so that we can move into better and more beautiful and amazing things. And if you're looking to figure out what it is you can go after, what creative pursuit you can start, jump on over to my website at kristenfitch.com and go under resources. There is a no limits, create, scale, and monetize your creative passion printable PDF that I would love for you to grab and start taking uh, your dreams seriously and get let's get going. You can start going after your dreams today. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have ideas for the show or guests that you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Kristen Fitch or you can email me from the website. Thanks so much. And thanks again for listening in. Until next time, have a great week.